good morning, Gateway family. Greetings to those of you here in the sanctuary. Greetings to those in the gym, and greetings to those of you still worshiping from home. So glad to see you on this 4th of July weekend as we get to gather together to worship the Lord this morning. So thankful for these opportunities. Just want to remind you guys, we've said it before, but if any needs arise in the midst of these strange days of the coronavirus trial, please reach out to us. Your staff, your elders, your deacons, we're here and we're eager to help, whether it's just to pray for you, whether to encourage you, to remind you of the promises of God's work. There's some financial help you need. Please let us know. We're here for you. All the contact information is on our website, gatewaybaptist.com. Under About Us, you can get to all of our emails with staff. You can send messages to deacons and elders. Never mind those of you who are members of Gateway, the Gateway Connect directory, gatewaybaptist.com slash directory. If you're a member, you have access to everyone's contact information. I just want to encourage you, even this week, to reach out to someone, to send a note of encouragement, send a text message to someone, but to do something to encourage someone else in the body this coming week. I want to read to us this morning as we prepare our heart to worship the Lord. Can I ask you to stand, please, as we read God's word? I'm going to read to us from Psalm number 46 this morning as we think about preparing to sing to the Lord this morning. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. And the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Friends, we get to sing this morning of the Lord Most High and how he's exalted among all the nations. Let's sing and praise him this morning. Oh, mm-hmm. 
God, you would keep our eyes focused on you in the midst of the uncertainties around us, that you would be our anchor, you would be our hope, you'd be our joy, you'd be our peace, no matter what's happening in the world around us. Lord, we pray as well as we walk through these trying days, God, that you'd be growing us and sanctifying us. Lord, as we saw many weeks ago in James chapter 1, Father, you use trials for our good. You use trials, Father, to mature us and make us more mature and more complete. And I pray we wouldn't waste the trials we're walking through these days. But God, you continue to mature us and sanctify us during this time. Father, we pray for the families of Gateway during this season. Lord, as summer's upon us and this COVID has changed schedules for us, Lord, I pray that we would redeem the time that we have. That you give much grace to us to speak of you with our children, for husbands and wives, for us to speak of you together, God, to redeem this time. And I pray you guard our families from the attacks of the enemy during this time. But I pray, especially this morning, for Stephen and Hillary and their little baby, baby Luke, Lord, as he's awaiting a pretty invasive surgery this week. God, we pray for your grace to be upon this sweet family. We pray for Stephen and Hillary this morning, once again, as we prayed last week, for your peace to rest upon them, Lord, that they would sense your presence afresh today. They'd sense your grace upon grace, and you would guard them from worry and fear. We pray even this week as the doctors do the surgery on little Luke, God, that you will just guide their hands and bring healing to his little body, Lord, this upcoming week. Father, we pray for the Montgomery Baptist Association, and thank you for just a network of churches that we're part of. We pray for Neil Hughes, Father, and just thank you for his leadership of the association during these days, where we know that he is weary. He's trying to help so many churches that are struggling and hurting during this time. We pray you'll give him wisdom each day. You'll give him fresh measures of your grace each day, and you'll just bless him and all that he does. Father, this morning we also want to thank you that we can pray for an unreached people group. And we've just sung a few minutes ago that you will be exalted among the nations. Lord, that is our heart and our desire is that, God, that your name will be known among all the peoples of the world. And so this morning we want to pray for the taboo people of central China. Lord, a people of 26,000 people where there's not even one known Christian today. It's one of the most remote parts of all China. So we pray that you will get the gospel there. But my heart's heavy this morning, having looked into this people group, to realize that in the 1930s and 1940s, missionaries went to that people. And there were apparently a few believers, but something happened, and the missionaries left, and those young believers didn't pass on the faith to the next generation. And though there was some beginning of work some, oh, wow, almost 100 years ago, Lord, that there's nothing there now. And so, God, we pray that you would get the gospel to this remote part of China, whether it's through the Chinese Christians and other provinces, whether it's through missionaries who come in, God, in your sovereign plan, would you get the gospel to the Dabu people of central China, that you might have worshipers for yourself, people who will exalt your name and glorify your name there in the middle of central China. And Father, we thank you this morning for Preston. Lord, I'm so grateful for his friendship and, Lord, just for all he does to serve the body here at Gateway. And I'm thankful for his faithfulness to your word, that this morning he's going to teach us from your word as we continue in James chapter 3, Lord. Pray your blessings upon him, that you'll speak to through him to us today as we continue to look at the theme of our speech. And, Lord, we all need so much grace to tame our tongues. We all need so much grace because we say so many things, Lord, that we regret. So I pray today you would use your word going forth to transform us and sanctify us and continue to mature us and to be people who will speak as you would have us speak. And, Lord, we thank you for all these things and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, Gateway. It's great to be with you this morning. It's a blessing to be able to open God's Word together with you. So if you have a Bible with you, would you go ahead and open it to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Last week in verses 1 and 2, Grady reminded us how we will give an account to God for every word we speak. And that's a powerful truth and a powerful reminder and this morning, we're going to continue on with James's thought process here about our speech, his emphasis on our words, 
And particularly, we're going to be looking at the second half of verse 2 all the way to verse 8. But before we read that passage, I want us to think about something for a moment. Coming off the cusp of thinking of, okay, we're going to give an account to God for our words. How can our speech actually then change? Okay, We're convicted to think about giving an account to God for what we say. Then how can our daily speech actually change for the better? You know, the, the world has... A lot of ideas about how to do this. You've probably you know, heard a lot of them. You may have said a couple of them before. Uh, if you don't have anything nice to say, you don't say it at all. Count to three before you say something. Take a deep breath so before you say something you'll regret. And while all those sayings and all that advice has a piece of truth in it and piece of helpfulness in it, they, they miss the major point, don't they? They don't, they don't get to the root of the issue, like rebuilding the walls of a house that has fallen down because of a bad foundation. They don't get down to the source of the problem. But this morning, in this passage in James, I hope that we're going to see the true answer to that question. How can our speech actually change? So, as we look at this passage, that's the, the main idea I hope we get from this morning. And that is this, that we must remember the danger of an untamed tongue and continually be controlled by the Spirit's power. We must remember the danger of an untamed tongue and continually be controlled by the Spirit's power. So that's what we're going to be unpacking, that idea. We're going to unpack that throughout this passage. So, um, also to let you know as we move through this, um, because James sometimes, uh, you know, he's, he's got, uh, he's being directed by the Spirit to write this, but sometimes he um, can get circular in what he says, and it may seem like there's not a flow to it. So to help you understand what, how we're going to go through this, there's going to be three places we're going to stop this morning in this passage. And at those three places, there's going to be two implications for us today. So at each of those three stops, two implications for us today that we're going to look at. So to that end, let's uh, stand together if you're able, or if you're at home and able to, and let's read from God's Word this morning. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and the words will be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible with you, this is James chapter 3. I'll start in verse 1, and I'll go through verse 8. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Pray with me before we start. Father, we are reading your word this morning. We're going to seek to understand your word to us this morning, Lord. So we pray you would open our eyes, open our ears. Give us 
discernment to evaluate our speech, Lord. Give us discernment to understand how you have gone about to save us and you can change our speech and our life, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So looking back at verse 2, we read verses one in the verse 1 in the first half of verse 2 to sort of get the reminder of what Grady touched on last week. But we're going to start in the middle of verse 2 this morning. So in verse 2, you'll notice that right after James acknowledges that we as Christians still stumble and that we still sin in many ways, he then says this in verse 2. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. And James is using this word bridle, which is the um, gear that was put on a horse's head to control where it, w- where it went. He's using that idea to describe how we control our tongue and control our body. So he says that if you can bridle and control your tongue, then the rest of your actions will also be controlled. Now that may seem strange, For him to start talking about not sinning and not stumbling and being under perfect control right after he acknowledges that no Christian is perfect. But I think we can better understand what he's getting at when he talks about being a perfect man if we go back to something that we saw in chapter 1 in James. So if you have your Bible open still, go back to James chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4. James says in verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces sorry, excuse me. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So notice that even though in chapter three he says that Christians are continue, going to continue to sin and stumble, he says in chapter one that there is a kind of perfect and completeness to our spiritual growth that we should be seeking and striving for. So here in our passage this morning in chapter 3, James sees the tongue in being foundational to pursuing that kind of completeness and that kind of holiness. Because, as he said in verse 2, he's starting to make this connection between our speech and the rest of our actions. And if you read with me again in verses 3 through 5, he starts to explain that connection more. So let's reread verse 3 through verse 5. He says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses... So that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So notice those images James gives. A very small bit in the mouth of a horse directs the horse wherever the rider wants to go. Then we put relatively small rudders on huge ships, but that very small rudder directs the entire ship wherever the pilot wants it to go. So he takes those images and compares it to our tongue. Verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So even though the tongue is so relatively small compared to the rest of our body, it's like the bit in a horse's mouth. It's like the rudder on a ship. In other words, James is showing us that if you want to get an idea for the direction your entire life is going, you just have to look one place. Look at your tongue. And it will tell you the direction your entire life is going and headed. You know, that 
That may seem like initially like an overstatement to us. Um, we think that, oh, this is not too big a deal, whatever you say. That's not going to define everything, is it? Well, I think if we look back to something Christ said, it may help us remember why James is emphasizing this so much. You don't have to turn there, but listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. This is verse 45. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of the evil treasure of his heart, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So we see that whatever comes out of our mouth is a reflection of what's in our heart. But then we may be tempted to, to hear that and say, oh, well, I don't say anything evil. So my heart's got to be in a pretty close to perfect place, right? Well, then I think there's something else Jesus says that answers that temptation. In another place, Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every, not just word they speak, every careless word they speak. Like Grady mentioned last week. So it's not only the explicitly evil things we say that reveal the evil in our heart, but it's the careless, seemingly innocent words we say that reveal what's in our heart. Or even the things we should say, but we don't say that reveal what's in our heart. So James and Christ both show that whatever comes out of our mouth, whatever should come out of our mouth but doesn't, is a direct revelation of what's inside our heart. So in light of this, church, I want us to stop right here and reflect on two things before we keep moving on in this passage. First, because James tells us that our speech is an indicator of the direction our life is taking, we need to simply just ask, what does our, my speech, what does your speech say about your life? You take out every action, take out all the actions of the rest of your life, and just simply look at your speech. If you read a transcript of your life every day before you went to sleep, what would your speech say about your life? If you read that transcript, what would dominate the conversation? Or would there be some parts of the conversation, things about Christ, things about spiritual things, that would be absent? Friends, thinking about this is so helpful because we so often overlook what we say because it's so often to overlook our heart itself. Maybe you've been believing the lie that it's possible to have hateful words coming out of your mouth and still actively be loving God in your heart. Or maybe you've been believing the lie that you can grow spiritually while ever never actually mentioning anything about spiritual things. Well, that's the first question that we need to ask ourselves here at this point in the passage. And the second thing I want to ask you is this. Maybe you have been convicted about areas of your life spiritually you want to grow in. But have you been trying to control those other parts of your life, those other actions in your life, without first looking to try to control your tongue by the power of Christ? I mean, I think we know that, right? As followers of Christ, we know that the things we do are so important because they reflect Christ. They reflect our love for him, and we want to display his worth in our lives. But isn't it so easy to just skim over what we say? 
But here James says that the foundation and the starting point of making sure that our entire lives reflect Christ and glorify Him is to first look at the tongue. Because it's the first place that what is in here comes out into the life. And it's so easy to overlook this, but I think that's why James is focusing on this so much. So I want to encourage you get all of you to remember that as we seek to grow as Christians, as we seek to glorify Christ in our lives, we're not going to grow in a complete, wholesome way that James is exhorting us to grow until, by the Spirit's power, our tongue starts to be controlled. Because there's this undeniable connection between life and speech. So, with that in mind, we're moving on to verses 5 and 6, where James continues to unpack this connection between the tongue and the rest of our life. So, picking up in the middle of verse 5, James says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? Notice how he continues on. He's laying it on here, explaining the power and the significance of the tongue. He says that a great forest can be set on fire by just a small flame, just as someone's entire life can be destroyed by their tongue. He says the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. So don't miss that he says that in the, this one member of our body, it possesses all the level of depravity and evil that's in the entire world. This is why he says in verse 6 that the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So notice that chain reaction and the potential power of the tongue. He says that the tongue is set on fire by hell itself, showing how the sinfulness of the tongue is a direct result of Satan himself and his rebellion that we joined in with him to rebel against God. So first, the tongue is set on fire by hell itself. And then, when the tongue's not restrained, it sets on fire all of your actions and all of your body until what happens? The entire path of your life is destroyed as well. So why does he have such harsh words for this? Why is he taking the time to emphasize this so much? Well, going back to James chapter 1 again, I think we can see the reason. So going back to James chapter 1, if you have your Bible open again, this time look in verse 26. Verse 26 in chapter 1, James says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart... This person's religion is worthless. So, here James tells us that even though a Christian will never be perfect, if a professing Christian's tongue is not being increasingly controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit, then that person, according to James, is not actually a Christian. That's why he says, if anyone thinks they're religious but their tongue is not being controlled, their religion is worthless. So this shows us that in our passage in chapter 3, when James is giving this vivid and powerful description of the sinfulness and the power of the tongue, he is describing the tongue of someone who is not born again, 
who is not a Christian, who does not experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Someone who's not been given a new heart by God. I think we can know this with certainty because the language James uses here in chapter 3 to describe this, it sounds a lot like the language elsewhere in the Bible. You don't have to turn there again, but Psalm 32 is one of the most places that stuck out the most to me. Listen to how similar Psalm 32 is to James 3. God speaking says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Well, that sounds like the life of a Christian, doesn't it? But listen to this next verse after that. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. That sounds similar to James, doesn't it? Same imagery. So I believe this shows us again that the Bible, in the Bible, the idea of not being able to control your tongue is something that is often attributed to a non-believer. If you can't control your tongue, you haven't experienced God's power in your life. So we're, we're beginning to see that even though James's letter is written to believers, in verses 5 and 6, he takes time to explain what the tongue of a non-believer is like. And again, why would James do this? Why would he spend time describing non-believers if he's writing to believers? Well, just like we've seen so many times in our journey through the book of James, we know that James's goal is for Christians' lives to resemble Christ, for them to become more mature followers of Christ. So describing what our tongue would be like if Christ hadn't saved us, if we didn't know him, it changes the way we go about fighting that sin and controlling our tongue. So thinking about this, church, I want us to stop again and think of two implications here from verses 5 and verses 6. First, we need to remember that the condition God has rescued us from changes the way we fight against sin now. And if James didn't think this, he, he wouldn't have wasted the time writing this. It was important to him. He believed that the sinfulness and evil and power of the tongue that he's describing now which should change the way we go about fighting that sin once we're saved. So when we fail to recognize that past reality of what we were like before Christ, we're not going to be able to grow in holiness after we've been converted. And we'll say more about this later in our, at our third point, but for now, James warns us that we need to continually understand the evilness of our tongue apart from the power of Christ. And second, we need to make sure we don't mix up or confuse our identity and our condition as followers of Christ. I think oftentimes this is a temptation and tendency we struggle with as Christians because we don't fully understand the identity and the condition we have as new spirit-filled believers. And to give you an example, this is sort of what the confusion looks like because I know I struggle with it in my life as well. We would read this passage in James, particularly the part that talks about the tongue being set on fire by hell and that no one can tame the tongue. And we would read that and conclude that, oh man, my tongue is under the power of Satan and there's nothing I can do to control it. I'm just a sinner. I'm not capable of being changed. That's, that's what I am. That's my condition. I'm under the power of Satan. Can't do anything about it. That's just simply not true, church. If you are a Christian, if Christ has saved you, 
If you struggle with this, of confusing your identity, then just simply know this, that while you are still a sinner, yes, that is not fundamentally who you are. You still commit actions of sin, but God does not say that's who you are now. And while your tongue still is going to stumble and sin and resemble your old self before Christ saved you, it is no longer under the power of Satan. Like James has showed us that if Christ has saved you, he's now taking that punishment for your sin, right? We, we think about that. We know, yes, he's, he's died to forgive me of my sin. But not only has he done that, but he died to purchase and give you the power to fight against the sin he has forgiven you of. He no longer views you as a rebellious sinner. He no longer views you as being a child of Satan. He now says that you are his child. Your identity has completely changed. So we need to be careful not to confuse that identity. Think about Romans 6. This is what's true of you, Christian. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So by the power of Christ, friend, you can change. You already have changed. You've been saved by Christ, and now you can experience increasing control of your tongue because this power has been made available to you through Christ. He's given you a new heart, a new identity, a new nature. So, understand that identity, friends. Don't get it mixed up. Don't place yourself back into your old self. Yes, remember what you were like. Remember your sinfulness before, but don't place yourself in that old condition because that's not who God says you are anymore. So this thought about being able to be changed by God leads us to our final two verses in our passage here, starting in verse 7. So back in chapter 3, verse 7, James says, For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So he he continues on this strong description of the tongue that's not born again, that has not been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he explains that even though humans have successfully tamed all sorts of animals that are extremely more powerful than one tongue, no human being has successfully, perfectly tamed their tongue. He then goes on to say in verse 8 that the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And just like some of his other imagery resembled imagery that we see in other places in the Bible, it does that again here. Um, This imagery of this deadly poison being in the tongue, it refers back to Psalm 140, which is also quoted by Paul in Romans 3. And it is again describing someone who doesn't know God, who has not been saved by Christ. Listen to what Psalm 140 says. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The poison of vipers is under their lips. This is why Jesus also says to the Pharisees, you're probably familiar with this, when he tells them, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So while James is describing this, 
poison of the tongue, he's explaining that this is the potential and the path the tongue will take if it is not changed by Christ. Because it flows from a dead, depraved heart that is filled with poison itself. But like we said earlier, church, praise God that if you have been saved by Christ, he has brought you to see your sin against him and be broken by it and see the beauty of Christ. How he is so much better than the sin you were loving. He transformed your heart so that it's no longer a pool of deadly poison, but now it is a pool that can contain the love of God in it. And isn't it amazing to think that the tongue, the part of your body that James says can't be controlled by any human being, and that it's full of deadly poison and all the depravity in the entire world, that that's the very thing God first changes on our body so that we can be saved? I mean, think about it. In Romans 10, Paul says that for the heart one believes and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So isn't it amazing that God shows his power and his love for you that through the gospel he saves you and he takes the very thing that you could not control and that flowed from your evil dead heart and he changes both so that he then uses your tongue to confess faith in him so that you'll be saved. He takes the old and he kills it. He takes the old fire of the tongue and he extinguishes it. In the past, before you were saved, your tongue was the first evidence that your heart did not love God. Your tongue was the first evidence that your heart was dead in your sin. But now that Christ has saved you, James shows us that your tongue is the first evidence that you have a new heart in you from Christ. Because with that same tongue, you first were converted because you professed faith in Christ by his grace and were saved. So in light of this church, this is our last of the three stops here. I want us to see two final implications for us today from these verses. First, we need to understand how the gospel is what continues to change us after we are initially converted. We need to understand how the gospel is what continues to change us after we're initially converted. This is so important, friends, because it shows us that growing as a Christian is not about mastering a complex system of steps. And neither is it trying to gain some secret insight that no one else has that will unlock the key for you to grow spiritually. Instead, James shows us that spiritual growth is simply coming to know better the Christ that has saved you. And all the spiritual blessings he's already purchased and given over to you. We've already seen in James that we can experience the control of our tongue now that Christ has saved us because we're a new creation. But obviously while that change in our identity and our nature has started, that change is not going to be perfectly completed and it's not definitely not going to happen all at once. It's going to be a process. But it's a process where we simply seek to submit more fully to the same power of Christ that initially transformed us in the first place. And that, that's our entire Christian life, isn't it? Seeking to become more fully what Christ died to turn us into. We fight against the old power of the tongue by the same new and greater power that Christ first saved us by. There's nothing new. There's nothing secret. There's not a level up of knowledge we need to know. Christ has saved you. That's the same power that will continue to change you. 
Now, that's the first implication for us in verses 7 and 8. And the second implication is the last thing we'll look at this morning. You know, maybe last Sunday and this Sunday, God has started convicting us or you about the speech and how important it is in our lives. And if you're convicted to want your tongue to change, to be under the power of Christ, then we need to know this final thing. Your speech will not change until God is truly what you love most. The tongue will not change. Our speech will not change until God is actually what we love most in our heart. It will never change until that's true in our heart because we've already seen James so clearly tell us that why does the tongue say what it says? Because of what is in the heart. So whatever you're loving, whatever you're treasuring, that's what's going to come out of here. And while it's not bad to talk about, you know, non-spiritual things every moment, things like your family, your kids, your job, isn't there a way that we can talk about those things that they're totally disconnected from spiritual realities, just totally useless and meaningless? So if your job, your family, your kids... Your Netflix account, whatever, is truly what you love most. Again, not that it's evil to ever speak about anything other than the Bible. But if that's all you're talking about, what does it say you love most right here? Or to say it in the reverse way, if you're looking at your speech, if you're looking at that transcript we talked about earlier, and there's no mention of spiritual things in there at all, then what is lacking in here? There's no love for God in here. So think about it, church. Why did you first repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ? Because you saw that Christ was beautiful and you loved Him and you submitted to Him as Savior and Lord. So in the same way today, how will your tongue come to be more under His power and control? By seeing Him as beautiful and out of love for Him, submitting to Him, as Savior and Lord, each day and every day. And while God is the source and the power of all this growth, He gives us the responsibility to seek this power and to seek this change in our life. And the power to fight against the sin of our tongue comes from that greater love of God that He's already poured out into our heart through Christ. So, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage all of, this, all of us this morning to seek to remember that main point we talked about, the danger of an untamed tongue and then continually be controlled by the Spirit's power. Because whatever comes out of our mouth is the first indication of whether we're being controlled by the Spirit or whether we're sliding back in to our old ways and the old power of sin. And the way we come to be more controlled by the Spirit is when our heart is more filled with love for God. So seek to see the beauty of God, church. Seek to see the beauty of Christ that's put forth in Scripture, that's put forth in your heart, that's put forth in the gathering of this church. Seek to see the beauty of Christ because your heart will be filled with love for Him when you truly see how precious and how glorious He is. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the reminder you give us in your word about our old self, Lord, that we were rebellious against you, that our hearts were full of sin, 
Lord, that our tongues could not be controlled in the least, Lord, that our tongues, all they did was confess that we did not love you and we did not know you. Lord, we praise you that you have saved us, Lord. We praise you that Christ has redeemed us from our deadness, our rebellion, and he has given us a new heart, a new identity, a new condition, Lord. And we think particularly about the power of the tongue today, Lord. We seek to have more love for you in our hearts than love for sin. We seek to have more love for Christ and his beauty and admiring and treasuring him so that what comes out of our mouth, Lord, will be spirit-filled words, will be words that build up, Lord, will be words that reflect your glory and your beauty. So we, we pray that you would do this in our hearts, Lord. Help us discern our lives and see what's really true in our lives now, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Teach us and lead us to repentance this week, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.